It's Sunday night, and we have been in a study on prophecy on Sunday night. Most people think of prophecy having to do with revelation. The most prophetic books in the New Testament is not revelation. It is the Gospels. Matthew, Mark, and Luke have... They've got some chapters that tell you more about the end of time, and I believe we're very close to the end of all things. Everyone is so cold about the truth. I don't hear any preachers preaching what I consider to be the truth. The truth has to do with exactness. It has to do with uh, what is specific doctrine. And people, are men are not specific. They're just, I listen to preachers on the radio and I watch them on TV and I try to figure out what is it that they're saying because they have a Jesus they have a Jesus they have a a Holy Spirit uh, and they have a gospel and Jesus or Paul said that there were coming some men to Corinth they had another Jesus another spirit, another gospel. And he said, I have not preached this Jesus. I believe the world is preaching the other Jesus. And I believe that's proof that the end of time is very close. I don't hardly hear any preachers preaching what I consider the real unvarnished blunt truth. I hear a few that kind of hedge at it, but they won't. They don't want to make people too angry so they don't really get blunt and to the point. The Bible says, seeing we have such hope, we use great plainness of speech. Plainness is the word parhesia. Parhesia, P-A-R-H-E-S-I-A. It means to be blunt, to the point. Do not beat around the bush. Now, blunt does not mean to be abrasive and cutting. It just means tell the truth the way it is. I wrestle on Sunday night just exactly where to approach the end of time from. The best chapters you can look at the end of time is Matthew, the 24th chapter, and the sister chapters to that, 24, and Mark, the 13th chapter, and Luke, the 21st chapter. These are what I would call sister chapters. Matthew, Mark, and Luke are called the synoptic gospels. That's because they have a synonymous view. You'll be reading in one of the gospels, you say, I think I read that over in Mark, or Luke, they'll have, each one of them will have the way they approach something, but it will be the truth. And you'll find in Matthew, Mark, Matthew 24, Mark 13, and Luke 21, the Bible will tell you the things that are going to happen at the end of time. That's what I've been trying to show people. I believe we have to be very close to the end. One of the main reasons that I believe we're close to the end is the coldness, the coldness of the true gospel. When you start trying to tell people the truth, they want to argue, they want to say, that's your opinion. And I'm on TV 
nearly 20 hours a week in Nashville, I get very little response from Nashville. I used to think if I could only get on the radio and preach this message of predestination, and people really just don't care about it. I used to think if I can only do that, this will draw people from all over the world. And what it does, it causes people to run from you. Now, I'm going to read a little bit out of Matthew 24. I'm going to get back to the book of Ezekiel tonight. In Matthew 24, the apostles come to Jesus and say, When will these things be when one stone is not left upon another of the temple? And what's going to be the sign of thy coming and of the end of the world? What's going to be the sign, the simeon, What's going to be the signal? Or what's going to be? Simeon means a flag or a beacon or a signal. How are we going to know that you're coming back very shortly? Flag or a beacon? And he said, Here's the, here are the signs of what's going to be going on. And one of these things, it jumps out at me more than it ever has. It's about the preaching of truth. And Jesus says, Take heed that no man deceive you, cause you, or seduce you, and cause you to wander away from the truth. For many shall come in my name, saying, Don't you notice what they're going to say? They're not going to say they're Christ. You can't fool anybody if you say you're Christ. Sun Yen Moon, the head of the Moonies out of Korea, when he would say he was Christ, that's not deceptive to people. Jesus said many will actually say, speaking of himself, that I am Christ, and they'll deceive many. See, all these preachers in these modern churches, they'll preach about Jesus being the Christ, but there is a positive and negative Jesus. The negative Jesus is the other Jesus. You got a negative Jesus? It's negative as far as the truth is concerned. You have the Jesus of the Bible. Jesus of the Bible. I guess he's more negative than the other because this is what they would call a positive Jesus. He's real good, he likes everybody. This is a positive Jesus. And this over here is the negative Jesus. The negative Jesus speaks of a daily cross. Daily cross. Self-denial. It speaks of, of uh, suffering for righteousness sake. Suffering. People don't want to hear about they have to suffer they'll say we live in a christian nation and we don't we are as far from christian as a nation can possibly be we have a form of godliness a form like second timothy the the third chapter says we have a form of godliness a form is the word morphe we have something that's shaped like goddess. You've got steeples on all these churches all over America. And a steeple, it does not denote something that's righteous. A steeple was, in the ancient world, was the male genitalia is what it was. That's where it comes from. It's not righteous at all. There's a guy across the street. 
he's got a big tall steeple he comes on tv after me and it's like listening to a bunch of mush it's like treading through walking through oatmeal or cream of wheat or something it's what his messages are like there'll be a form of godliness but they'll deny the power of god the dunamis d-u-n-a-m-i-s and the bible says that the gospel is the power of god unto salvation so what we're reading here is what kind of what kind of deception is going to be going on in the world at the end of time jesus goes on to say many shall come in my name they're going to come in the name of jesus and they'll even say jesus is christ but they're not going to talk about a daily cross, death to self. They're suffering for Christ. They're not going to talk about a narrow way. I never hear anybody. Narrow is one of my favorite subjects, and everybody here knows that. Narrow is the way that leads to life, and only a few are going to find the narrow way. Most people in the world are going to hell when they die. The Bible says so. Most people are not going to heaven. And it's because of what's going. Well, God ordained most people for hell. They're vessels of wrath fitted to destruction. The Bible says straight is the gate, narrow is the way that leads to eternal life, and only a few are going to find the narrow or the tribulation way. Narrow is the word thalibo, thalibo, and it comes from the word thalipsis. They're basically the same word. One's the verb, the other's the noun. And Thalipsis is the common Greek word tribulation. And Paul said we must through much tribulation enter the kingdom of God. You have to go through tribulation. When he said that, he had men of Lystra, uh, they were coming outside the city and they were going to stone him and they left him for dead. That's how serious this thing is. Then Then Jesus goes on to say, many will come in my name, they'll say I am Christ and deceive many. And you shall hear of wars. Be not troubled. I looked on the internet here a few weeks ago to see how many wars were going on in the world. There are approximately 50 major wars going on in the world right now. The wars that you don't even know about. And there'll be wars and rumors of wars. See that you be not troubled, for all these things must come to pass but the end is not yet nation shall rise against nation kingdom against kingdom there shall be famines famines and pestilence in the world are rampaging throughout the world if you live in america you cannot face the truth because you say well we got enough money to live on and there's jobs down the street and you got millions of people laying in the streets in bangladesh in calcutta and they're dying of starvation starvation is one of god's judgments on a world that doesn't obey him and earthquakes and diverse it says divers but it's our word diverse in various places all these are the beginning of sorrows there's a birth there's a verse i'm getting to down here and it plays upon my mind every day then shall they deliver you to be afflicted and shall kill you and ye shall be hated of all nations for my name's sake then shall many be offended and shall betray one another and shall hate one another and many false prophets shall rise many of them 
Anyone who doesn't tell the truth is a false prophet. And that would include Billy Graham, uh, Charles Stanley, absolutely include Kenneth Copeland and T.D. Jakes and Jesse Duplantis and all the rest of those charismatics and Pentecostals. They're preaching a false doctrine. They don't care what anything means. They think if they pull an English word out of the Bible, they can make it apply mean whatever they want it to mean. And then he says, and because this verse right here is really put me in mind of the end of time because of what's going on in the world and because iniquity shall abound the love of many shall wax cold if you don't have any idea what that word love is you're not even going to know what it's talking about there's two words for love in the greek text one is the word agape i talk about this all the time agape and the other word is phileo they're not the same word. You cannot make them be the same word. They're two different words. Phileo means to have affection for. Well, you can have affection for anything, for your car. I love my car. I have an affection for my car or for my dog or I like cake. That, phileo can apply to anything. Agape has to do with a commandment. Now I've got a I've got an article out of Kill's New Testament Dictionary of Greek Words. And I brought it this morning, I started to read from it, I just didn't get around to it. I'll bring it and read from it. But you're gonna find throughout the history and throughout the development of this word agape, it was a late relationship that fathers had for their families. Fathers, families. And kings had for their subjects, kings for the subjects. And the Bible says this is love, Second John 6. 6. This is actually what agape is, that we walk after his commandments. You can be taken up with life and not paying any attention to what's going on in the world and not thinking, well... God hasn't judged me yet, so I don't have to worry about this. I've got a good job. I've got well, the things I need or the things I want. And uh, so God's God's kind of left me alone. He's not going to leave anybody alone when it comes to walking after his commandments. And what this verse is saying is walking, wherever you find agape, you can insert walking after God's commandments after God's commandments. And what will stop you from doing that is you have a coldness towards God's commandment. The love of many shall wax. The word wax is the word sucho, P-S-U-C-H-O. Wax is this word, P-S-U-C-H-O. Sucho means to breathe voluntarily or gently with a reduction of temperature and it means to be slowly dying and that's what the world is the world is dying they're dying for a lack of the truth they know what it is that it's in the bible but they redefine everything 
this is talking about these preachers that have redefined the method of salvation. This is the love of many waxing cold. Method of salvation. We can tell we are in the great apostasy. The Bible says there in Second Thessalonians 2 and 3, the day of the Lord will not come except there come a falling away first. And the falling away is here. Falling away is one word in the Greek, apostasis. It is our word, apostasy. Most people don't have any idea what the word apostasy means. You'll hear preachers use it. It means a removal. Apo means a removal. And this is what's happening here at the end of time. I don't see how we can last much longer. I don't see how this world can stand. I don't believe the world will be standing here in another 20, 30 years. I believe the end is right at hand. I've studied prophecy for the last 50, 60 years of my life since I was a kid. And I've found apo means a removal of stasis. Now, here's one of the main problems with the world. In order to believe the truth about predestination, in order to believe the truth about Christmas being pagan, you can tell somebody Christmas is Christ's Mass, it's Roman Catholicism, and the Mass in Roman Catholicism is eating human flesh, and that's the truth, whether anybody believes it or not. Or supposedly eating human flesh. And they say you have to eat the flesh of Christ. That is the main doctrine. That's the central focus of Catholicism is the Mass, isn't it, ex-Catholics? It's the Mass. And they they twist the words, the Catholics twist the words of Jesus in the sixth chapter of John, except you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you have no life in you. You do not have eternal life without eating. That sure does sound Catholic, doesn't it? Eat flesh. He said, except you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you don't have any life in you. Drink blood. But see, people don't know that that was an idiom in the ancient world. Idiom. Idiom is a saying. It doesn't necessarily mean that very thing. We have dozens of idioms in our society. Uh, We say... I got it straight from the horse's mouth. Don't mean you've been talking to a horse, does it? No. It means I got it straight from the source. I've got a list of idioms over here. Don't have time to go through them, but it's it's just, we have got thousands of idioms in our society. This is one of theirs. Eat flesh and drink blood was an ancient term. It meant to partake in a slaughter now I can stand up here all day long and tell you how the men have fallen away removed the stasis stasis means to stand upright stand upright and you have something in the Greek language called morphemes 
and some of the morphemes of stasis are the word shapes. One of them is the word sterao, S-T-A-U-R-O, staros. Steros means is the word cross, or sterao, S-T-A-U-R-O-O, which is the word crucify. Men have removed crucifying the flesh. They've removed, and they think that the apostasy is after the so-called pre-trib rapture, and they say, you see, uh, uh, the apostasy will start when we're all taken out of here. They don't know that there has already been a removal of the daily cross of uprightness in among the believers because everyone is listening to all this false doctrine. Their method of salvation, this is what the Bible's talking about when it says the love of many will wax cold. That is one of my favorite things to teach on is love, agape, men walking in the commandments of God is dying. That's what's happening to the world. To walk in God's commandments, crucifying the flesh, self-denial, suffering for righteousness sake, the narrow way. I don't hear any preacher preaching that at all. Do you? And those are imperative commands, as I said this morning. If any man will come after me, let him deny himself. Let him is actually not in the text. It says deny, take, follow. And that's Christ saying these things, and it's a command. It's an imperative command, each one of those words. Imperative is a command. Well, if Jesus commands something, it's going to happen. And the world is talking about, you don't have to do that. You just accept Christ. That's all the Baptists are talking about. Accept Christ as your personal Savior. Or say a sinner's prayer. I don't know if y'all realize how this has permeated the churches. I was raised in an independent Baptist preacher's home. My father, at the end of the service, would give an invitation to him, and he'd give it. We would sing ten verses of Just As I Am. Then he would sing another six or eight or nine verses of Almost Persuaded. Almost Persuaded. Now, you're almost persuaded. Won't you come to that? This may be your last chance. There's no chance with God. All that the Father giveth me shall come to me, Jesus said. There's no chances. All of his people will come. But the way they're leading people away is by this walk down the aisle and accept Christ and say this sinner's prayer. And the Bible says there's no sinner's prayer. They've taken the word of God and just wrenched it. Saying, well, all you got to do is walk down the aisle and pray. What they did, they took Romans... 1013 as the method of salvation and they don't even quote verse 14 1014 they've taken this verse as the method of salvation for whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be saved that's not the method of salvation whoever does call will be saved but the next verse says how shall they call on him and whom they've not believed. Every Baptist church in America will tell you, Romans ten thirteen is the method of salvation, and it's not. 
you will call what you believe. But believe is the method of salvation. Paul told the Philippian jailer in Acts, the 16th chapter, the Philippian jailer came and fell down at the feet of Paul and Silas and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? Paul did not say, Would you like to pray this prayer and mean it with all your heart? That is the stupidest thing to say. Would you like to pray a prayer and mean it with all your heart? First of all, prayer, they've redefined prayer. They think prayer is asking God and wishing something from God. Prayer, they've redefined everything. That's a sign that we're close to the end. Prayer is the word prosuchomai, P-R-O-S-E-U-C-H-O-M-A-I. That's the word prayer. It's a construction of pros. That's our word pro. If you're pro-life, you're for life. It means for or toward. This, I don't know if y'all realize this. I've told you this. This accept Christ and sinner's prayer, it just drove me crazy at 11, 12, 13, 14, 15 years old because I could not figure out how to accept Christ. I couldn't figure it out. I didn't know that I was already born again. I didn't know that belief was the method. Belief is when your life changes and you seek God in all the things that you do. And I was a little kid when I started believing the Lord. My father would give these long invitation hymns, and I'd go down, I'd walk down the aisle when he would say, If you don't know tonight, you're going to hell when you leave here. And I would, little kid, I'd be walking down the aisle. And Daddy got to where he he baptized me about four or five times. And then he got tired of baptizing me, and he started started saying, Jimmy, sit over there. Quit doing anything. Because he'd say, you can't be dipped in water until after you're saved. So since you haven't saved till this time, last time you said you saved, and I dipped you in water. And the time before that, I dipped you in water. And I got got waterlogged. Like when the old preacher said, I got to where I knew all of the tadpoles in Texas by their first name. <laughs> but this confused me. I was confused. I even came to a place. This is a confusing. Has anybody been confused about accept Christ in a sinner's prayer besides me? <laughs> you can't accept Christ. The Bible says the natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God. Natural sukikos means the man of the senses. The sensual man, this physical man, cannot accept anything spiritual. Like Paul told the Philippian jailer, believe. When I preach on these things, I'm trying to tell everybody, when when I'm preaching on these things, these are the things that confuse me. I even, I remember one night in Grapevine, Texas, it's kind of part of Fort Worth now, but I remember one night, Daddy was about 1952 or 51. I was 12, 13 years old maybe, about 12. And he was preaching, and I was under conviction because he kept saying, if you don't know tonight, you're going to hell when you leave here. And I didn't know what to do. And I remember entertaining, and I was sitting there thinking this. I think I'll take a songbook and go down the aisle and hand it to Daddy and tell him, Daddy, hand me that book, and I'll pretend that it's Jesus, and I'll accept it. 
I didn't know I was already accepting the things of God because I was willing to believe anything he was telling me in order to go to heaven. You can't accept Christ. There's no such thing as a sinner's prayer. The blind man said, We know that heareth not that God heareth not sinners. If any man be a worshiper of God and doeth his will, him he heareth. You gotta be worshiping God, doing the will of God for God to hear you. These are signs of the end. Whenever I preach on this so much here from this pulpit, sinners' prayer is a sign we're close to the end. Accept Christ is a sign. Men have you know who started the accept Christ and sinners' prayer doctrine? A man named Billy Graham. He's the guy that preached that to the world and had everybody else wanting to accept Christ and pray the sinner's prayer. I don't even know where that man went, but he was a false teacher. Accept Christ is absolutely not true. If you believe, let me say it one more time. I've never heard a preacher that knew, that believed, never heard one, and faith, I kept wondering, how can you have faith in God and how can you believe in God? If believe is a method of salvation, I thought we were saved by grace through faith. Well, we are. I thought, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and I shall be saved. Well, you do. Because of this, basically the same word. I didn't know that until I looked into the Greek. Faith is the noun believe is the verb that's the way it is well if believe on the lord jesus christ what is the verb what is the action that you do you do the things that god said you take your cross you deny self you suffer for righteousness sake you're in the narrow way because he put you there you didn't have anything to do with it you don't have anything to do with believing christ nothing but you'll believe if you belong to him because he'll put it in your heart. Faith is the gift of God. Faith is not you working. It's God's gift he puts into your heart. The funny thing about gift in that Ephesians 2, a gift is the word doron. It means a sacrifice. It doesn't mean a, a present wrapped up with ribbons on it. Doron, it means, it means a sacrifice. Faith is a sacrifice that God put in your heart. So believe on the Lord Jesus Christ in faith. Faith is death to self. I have never heard a preacher say that. Most of what I preach when I'm up here is what I wrestled with as a kid. And my father would beg me down the aisle and I'd walk the aisle. And I had to grow up and I got, I grew up and I said, Lord, I give up. I can't save myself. And I, God was saying, well, that's what I've been trying to tell you. Don't listen to your father. I couldn't listen to my father. He got me confused. Has anybody been confused about whether they're believing or not? Eric said he was confused. Christopher, my grandson back there holding his hand up. It's all the things that these preachers are saying. Their method of salvation is accept Christ and say sinner's prayer. And it's not true that is the love of many waxing cold I teach on baptize I have never heard a preacher say that baptism was blood and what really amazes me you can pick up a strong exhaustive concordance you can look up baptize in it 
you got baptized, and it'll take you back to the Greek definition, and it will tell you. Baptize comes from the word bapto. They'll tell you it comes from the word bapto or baptizo. And when you look up baptizo, it'll say to cover, to cover. And it'll say bapto means to, it'll say it comes from bapto, meaning to stain or to dye. And then you've got writers that have written on this. You've got James Dale. He'll tell you, baptize means to cover with a stain or dye. And then you go into, you go into the word baptize in the McClinic and Strong. These books were written back in the 1800s when people, when the writers were still writing really important things down. When they started producing later encyclopedias, they they eliminated a lot of the words out of out of the later encyclopedias that they have in here. Because if you could go back to the ancient world, you can find the definitions. But you can't find them in this modern books. They've eliminated a lot of it. Well, when the Bible says that baptism doth also now save us, over there in in Second Peter, baptism is blood. It's... And I've never heard any preacher deal with, never heard one of them deal with what Jesus said when he's talking to James and John in Mark the 10th chapter, when he would say, can you be baptized with the baptism I'm baptized with? Can you be baptized as if to say in the future? And the next day he's going to die on a cross and you can look up baptism or you can look up blood in here look up the B volume, look up blood, and on the end of the volume, on the end of the article, it'll say blood baptism, which they said was a martyrdom in the first century. It was a dying, a death. I don't like what the preachers are saying anywhere. I don't hear any of them that know the method of salvation. I've never heard one of them address belief is the method of salvation or faith, which are the basic. One is the verb, the other is the noun. Never heard a preacher even knew anything close to that. I don't believe in the preachers in America today. That's proof that that's proof that the love of many is waxing cold. The commandments of God are not being taught to the people. They're not being taught at all. I go into all of these, and then you go into tongues, and the Pentecostals don't care what it means. Tongue. This is the love waxing cold is what it is. They have no love for the truth of God's word. None. I'm just, I'm sick of the preachers. I got sick of my father's message. I had to grow up, study the Bible, and then I had to find out that I was already a believer. I had to grow up after learning the scripture. It took me this long to find out. It took me this long to find out that I was a believer in 1947. 
or somewhere about there. I don't know where. But I remember 1947, I was a little boy, about eight years old, standing in front of a Methodist church. And back then, the Methodists would preach harder. And this guy had preached on hellfire. His name was G.W. French, I remember. And Brother French preached on hell that night. And I stood out in front of that church, looked up to heaven and said, Jesus, I want to come be with you someday. I could not have called on him if I had not been a believer. So I had to grow up, get in my 20s, start studying the Bible, later on study the Greek text and find out that I was already a believer in 1947. My father didn't start preaching until 1949. I was a believer back then. In fact, I don't know when the belief started. It may have been long before that when I was five or six or seven. I've had conviction since I was a little boy. But I grew up and didn't live right. And I went out here in the world and lived for self. And got in the music world and got in real estate and wanted to become somebody. And the more I studied, the more I found out that I was a believer back when I was a little boy. I don't believe you know when you're born again. I don't believe anybody knows that. Oh, you'll hear people say, well, I know I'm saved. I know I walked out and I accepted Christ back in 1964. And I just, I've said this to some people. No, you didn't. No, you didn't. Has anybody been confused about these preachers? It's because the love of many is waxing cold. Nobody cares what things mean. I said it this morning. There's none that seeketh after God. If nobody seeks God, nobody's going to heaven unless God chases himself down a family and turns their head around and says, Look at me, you're mine. I picked you before the world began. And you will turn and look to him and start begin repenting. But a lot of us, you may have been like me, got out there in the world, got into self till I got mean. And then God had to nearly kill me to stop me from being as mean as I was being. Has anybody been mean? Huh? Trying to have what you want? Let's go back over here to the 24th chapter of Matthew. All these subjects, the Pentecostals don't know, they've come up with faith healing. All of these things that I preach on, faith healing, accept Christ, sinner's prayer, all these things are part of the love of many waxing cold. You can't even hardly hear a preacher preaching on truth, can you? I don't. I listen to everybody on radio that I can when I'm coming into town every day. Mary's not with me. I listen to preachers. I'm sitting there screaming at the radio. And I know they can't hear me. No, no, no. Don't tell those people that. You can't listen to Hank Hanegraaff. The guy's an imbecile and he uses words that nobody understands his words are this long he uses one every two sentences they're like twenty dollar words and the ontological god sees that we must through retributive acts you're going what and truck drivers can't understand what he's talking about can they god's word is simple so that his people can understand well, faith healing is not true. Here's what really gets me. The most famous faith healers in America in the 50s and 60s was Oral Roberts, 
and Kenneth Hagin. Most of you may not be familiar with Kenneth Hagin, but Kenneth Hagin started the positive confession movement in America. All you have to do is sit with your lips, and you have it. Gosh, I can't even get into that. That goes. That is so in-depth study. Probably the two verses they use more than anything else is over there in Mark eleven twenty-three. If you'll say to this mountain, be thou removed and be thou cast into the sea, and not doubt in your heart, you can have whatsoever you say. They say, see, there's positive confession. And saith is the word lego. It is the verb form of logos. You have to be agreeing with Christ and say the logos, the word of God. Lego is the verb form. If you say to this mountain, but they don't even know what a mountain is. They think a mountain is a pile of dirt in the distance. That's not a mountain. Pull out your McClinican Strong and look up mountain. Look up mount. It will tell you a mount was a capital city of an empire. And you find in the Bible, you've got two mountains that are battling each other. you got Babylon that's a destroying mountain. The Bible says Babylon was a destroying mountain. How did Babylon destroy all the earth? Because Babylon was the mother of harlots, and she was founded on let us make us a name. That's how she's devoid, that she's destroyed all the earth. Let us make us a name. And name is the word onoma. In the, in the Greek, it's the word Shem in the Hebrew, it means authority. We'll make up our own authority. We'll change the meanings of these words. And what's so amazing, Or Roberts and Kenneth Hagin both died of a disease. You look up, well, how did Oral Roberts die on the Internet? Just Google it. It'll tell you that he died of pulmonary disease. Well, why didn't he call in Jesse the plant? because he's got an IQ of a plant, and pray for him and heal him. Why didn't he call Benny Hinn in and heal him? Because when you're 92, you can't be healed of heart disease and pulmonary disease, and he was 92. He died of old age. I ask people, what's old age? Well, that's, uh, uh, that's old age. No, 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 no. It's cardiac disease or pulmonary disease. It is a disease. Isn't it funny how Pentecostals can be healed when they're 30? It's their imagination, but they can be healed when they're 92. And Kenneth Hagin died of heart disease. Why didn't he call somebody and have them pray for him and heal him? And Paul Crouch, the man who started TBN, he died. He spent the last 10 years of his life wrestling with congestive heart failure. Why didn't he call one of these healers in? Does that anger me? Yes. You're not going to be healed when you're old. I'm old. Mary's old. She's got chronic high blood pressure. That'll probably do her in one day. My lungs will probably do me in, and it may not be too far in the future. But thank God we'll be out of this crazy body. Why does people want to be healed so they can keep living in this world 
all those people who die, Kenneth Copeland's going to die and go to hell one day. And when he dies, if he's not killed in a plane crash or something, he's going to die of a disease. It's insane for them to say there's such a thing as faith healing. I keep, this is the love of many waxing cold. You redefine the words and tell people, oh, you're going to have what you want. And they'll say, calling things that be not as though they were. The Bible says God calls things that be not. And when you go to all these verses in Scripture, calling things that be not, it's always about death, about people dying. They don't want to think about that. It's, it's, it's insane what they're saying. The world is crazy. The preachers are out of their minds. You can't be healed by faith. That faith is made the whole. Every time you find that in the Bible, the word whole is so, so it's the word saved. Faith saves. It doesn't heal you of anything. Does it bother me? It bothers me bad every day to hear these preachers lying to the American public. They're lying. And what's really sad about it is their congregation believes him because he's such a nice guy. And he's not. What he's doing is telling you you can be healed if you keep sending him your money. God deliver us from these liars and thieves. And they say that the love of many waxing cold has to do with tongues. You got two words for tongue, dialectos. And you have the word glossa. Glossa is our word glossary. A glossary is a word's in a book that are foreign to the average reader and they have a section in the book that you can look up in the glossary and it'll tell you the meaning of the words. Glossary means a foreign language. Dialectos means a dialect and they had a different dialect of the Greek street language in every city-state and those differed as much as Spanish and Italian in our day and time and that's what Acts 2 was about. They said, how hear we ever met? It was a miracle of the ear. How do we hear in our own dialect wherein we were born? And these were Jews from every nation under heaven because they had been given three festivals that they all had to come back to. But these, these charismatic Pentecostals, they don't even care that they were... It's amazing. You get this out of the compendia. Compendia is a set of books that I've got. In Exodus, the 23rd chapter, all the males, all the males in Israel had to come back to the three feasts. And you got this several times in the Old Testament. Exodus 23 says that they had to come back to Passover, Pentecost, and the Feast of Ingathering, which was the same thing as Feast of Huts, or the Feast of Tabernacles. And they all had to come back, and that started with Nisan, March, April, and went all the way through uh, Tishri, which was September, October. And all the males had to come back. But they're scattered all over the world because, because, it's crazy. 
I've never heard anybody even preach on Israel. All the time they were a nation, they kept going after the fire. And the tree goddesses, along with all the gods of the nations around them, including including Venus and Hercules and, and Remon out of Syria and Baal in the grove, these were the fire and the tree goddesses. And that was the same thing. <laughs> That was the same thing that was brought to the church in 325 A.D. by Constantine when he started the Roman Catholic Church. It was the same thing because Babylon mothered all idolatry. And when, when Constantine felt like Rome was going to get overrun, he thought well, they're going to get overrun by, let me see here. He thought he thought the Hans, the Ostrogoths, the Vandals, the Burgundians, all of these these pagan tribes up here outside of the Roman Empire, he thought they were going to overrun the Roman Empire, so he brings all of their sun and tree gods into the Roman Catholic Church and says everybody's going to get along and we're going to all hold hands. And that's the same thing that Israel was involved in when they were a nation and God scatters them all over the world and they all have to come back to Israel for these three feasts and in 400 years after not 400 years uh, 600, 700 years northern Israel has been scattered all over the world southern Judah has been scattered all over the world and yet they all have to come back to these feasts and bring their sacrifices i never heard anybody even knew anything about that have you never heard anybody that knew they had to come back and if you notice all these arrows are pointing towards jerusalem and they're coming over here and they were all confused with their languages and they didn't understand each other so god caused them to understand by fixing their ear and i have preached on this how much lately just constantly and I never heard anybody else that even knew this stuff because they don't read they don't study anything I'll just read my Bible I don't study anything but my Bible you're ignorant too you're not going to know what was going on they don't know nothing about the Pharisees the Baptists don't know nothing about divorce nothing they'll say you can't get married after you've been divorced you can't what you going to do about the women in Deuteronomy 24, 1 through 3? Huh? <laughs> Expert divorce. All right. But look over here in first. In, in uh, first Chronicles 24. Not First Chronicles, Second Chronicles. Second Chronicles. Twenty-four. No, Deuteronomy. I don't know what I'm thinking of. Deuteronomy twenty-four. I'll get it right in a minute. All right. Now the Baptist Church will say you can't be married after you are divorced. And look here. Now look here what Deuteronomy 24 says. 
When a man hath taken a wife and married her, I've never seen anybody even deal with this. And it come to pass that she found no favor in his eyes. She's become unclean because she's committed adultery. And there's certain things you have to assume here. Because he hath found some uncleanness in her, let him write her a bill of divorcement. That was a paper that allowed her to have half of his goods. They had to split it and give it to her hand and send her out of his house. And when she is departed out of his house, she may go and be another man's wife. Now, what are you going to do with that, preachers, Baptist preachers? And if the latter husband hate her and write her a bill of divorce, that was called a get or a getum, G-I-T-T-I-M. Give it in her hand and sendeth her out of his house. Or if the latter husband die, which took her to be his wife, her former husband, which sent her away, may not take her again to be his wife. After that, she is defiled, for that is an abomination before the Lord, and thou shalt not cause the land to sin, which the Lord thy God giveth thee for an inheritance. Now, that's one of the things. They don't know how to deal with that. And that, and I, can, I can't read that one verse and tell you all about divorce. The bill of divorce was absolutely necessary in order for the, the divorce to be legitimate. That was under God's law. They had to have a bill of divorce. A bill of divorce meant an equal division of the property. Why is that? Regardless of what these charismatic Pentecostals say, Israel was a very poor land in the first century. They were poverty-stricken. Most of the people didn't have any money. The women had no part of money. She was not owner of the property. And according to the Pharisees, they said they could walk in and tell their wife, I divorce you, get out. All she could take was on her person. That's all she could take. But how are they going to know this if they don't study bill of divorce? You can go into the bill of divorce and these encyclopedias, they'll tell you all about it. You go into bill of divorce uh, in a Jewish encyclopedia, which I've got some of those at home, and it'll tell you the bill of divorce had to be given to the woman, had to be while she was awake, and they couldn't come and just lay it in her lap. They had to tell her, this is a bill of divorce. And they had to have in that bill of divorce that you're allowed to go and be married to another. And yet the Baptists say, you cannot be married after you're divorced. What are you going to do with this, you guys? It's ridiculous. And I can't approach all those verses here in one place. I'm simply talking to you tonight tonight about the love of many is waxing cold. Walking in God's commandments. How are you going to walk in his commandments when these Baptists and Pentecostals and Charismatics have redefined everything? <laughs> you try to tell somebody Christmas is Christ's mass, it's Roman Catholicism, and it was against the law to celebrate Christmas 300 years ago in America, and I've said this to Every time I have a doctor, and I've talked to 12 or 15 of them in this last year, and every time I get around a doctor, I say, can I ask you a question, doc? And every one of them will say, sure, go ahead. I say, do you know that it was against the law to celebrate Christmas 300 years ago in America? Every one of them will say, I've never heard that. Well, if our doctors hadn't heard of it, do you think the people in the churches have? 
It's Roman Catholicism. It's false. Jesus said, "My when he said, except eat my flesh and drink my blood, he said, here's what eat flesh and drink blood is. My flesh is meat indeed. Flesh equals meat indeed. And my blood equals drink indeed. So all you have to do is define the word indeed to find out what eat flesh and drink blood is. Indeed is the word alethes. It means of truth. And what do you do when you eat and drink of truth? Truth is the word aletheia, A-L-E-T-H-E-I-A, and it is a construction of the word lanthano. Lanthano and the alpha privative. The first letter of the Greek alphabet negates the word, gives an opposite meaning. Alanthano means not to hide anything. Aletheia, because lanthano means to hide or conceal, placing the alpha in front of that as a negative particle, which is what it is in the text, it means not to hide anything. So when you eat flesh and drink blood, you take the cover off and tell people the truth about Christmas, about predestination. You can tell people about predestination, they'll get mad and enough to be furious enough to want to kill you. Did you know that? You can try to tell people, we are so brainwashed in America, people can't even recognize the truth. I preach every time I get up here about truth. I put it on the board. The world is insane. If I try to, if I, if you talk about demons, demonion, demonion is the word demon. It's our word demon, and it means to distribute fortunes you try to tell somebody that they won't even listen to the whole picture Daemonion is what they called their gods in the first century they called their gods demons that's what they called them we know that in the bible the bible said they called them demons over there in the 17th chapter of acts Paul is getting to, he's going on his second missionary journey and he gets over here, gets over here to Athens. And at Athens, there are nothing but heathens and pagans there. And in Acts 17, this will show you what they call their gods. 17, Acts 17. How much time do I have, Mike? Huh? 37. Maybe I'll get back over to Gog and Magog. Gog and Magog is another sign of the end of time. We got all these end time prophecies going on. And people don't even know it. They go to church at some church. I got saved one night. No, you didn't. If you belong to God, God had planned to save you from the foundation of the world. And I don't believe anybody knows when they became a believer. I don't believe anybody knows that. 
And that is heresy to some people that say, well, you're, you're a heretic. You don't believe I got saved one night. No, I don't believe that. I don't believe you have any idea when God called you. He called you from the foundation of the world. Now look here in Acts 17. This will show you that they called their gods demons, demonion. Paul is here at Athens, verse 16, 17th chapter of Acts. And now when Paul waited for them at Athens, his spirit was stirred in him. Athens was the seat of idolatry. When he saw the city wholly given to idolatry, therefore disputed he in the synagogue with the Jews. They had a synagogue there. And with the devout persons in the market daily with them that met him. Then certain philosophers of the Epicureans and Stoics. Epicureans and Stoics were heathens. They believed in Stoicism. They believed in Epicureanism. They believed in the belly. The Epicureans believed the belly was the seat of all sensual desires, and that was all the God you need. And some said, talking about Paul, what will this babbler say? And others said, others some, he setteth be, he said, he seemeth to be a setter forth of strange gods. That word, now this is a, a heathen talking, talking about Paul. He seems to be a setter forth of strange daemonion. That's what they said. He's setting forth strange demons, and Jehovah God was being referred to as a strange demon by these pagans. That means they had their gods, which were strange demons. They were demons. They said that's what they believed. And in 1 Corinthians, the 10th chapter, Paul said they offer their sacrifices up to Daemonion. It says devils, but the word is Daemonion. It said these people in Corinth, the Bible itself proves that they called their gods demons. They called Hercules a demon. Was he supposed to distribute fortunes? Yes, he's supposed to go down in the underworld and fight his twelve, the twelve battles of Hercules. And Perseus was supposed to go into the underworld and conquer Medusa in Styx, their version of or in the Hades, their version of hell. You can watch the movie, the first movie about. Uh, Clash of the Titans the first movie not this current one but the first one and it shows the gods are up in the heavens the demons they're looking down on Perseus which was Joppa's form of Hercules and he's going down into the underworld conquering the Hydra and she's the Medusa with the snakes in her hair and she's he's going down here that's a real good movie to watch because the Hollywood producers are are more on target than the Baptist preachers and it shows that when he comes out of out of Hades he brings the head of Medusa in a sack and it shows him coming back to redeem his bride Andromeda and she was washed in water and had a robe put on her in this movie 
shows you how close they were and she was chained to a rock and we're chained to Christ the rock and it shows Perseus coming back on a flying white horse Pegasus Christ is coming back on a white horse and when he gets over the sea the kraken or the beast rises up out of the sea and he pulls out the head out of the sack and flashes the eyes of Medusa on the beast the kraken and it breaks all to pieces when Christ comes back in the 19th chapter of Revelation he's coming back with eyes as a flame of fire and he's going to destroy the beast that rises up out of the sea those guys out there in Hollywood they got this thing right down the line that's a movie worth buying and worth watching I'm talking about the first Clash of the Titans not the later one they changed the color of the horse and everything else in the later one trying to be more flashy I guess so and you can look in the P volume pull out the P volume look up possessed possessed that will be in large letters and it will say with possessed with devils and be in small in small letters you just look up possessed and it will tell you this means to be insane and when you're possessed with the desire for self you've got a lot of insanity in you that's what drives people crazy is trying to have the things they want in this world and they can't get it we're living in crazy times I don't ever feel good looking out at the world never I get up every morning we got a wraparound kitchen all these windows on our kitchen and I go in there and sit down and drink some coffee and look out at the world and say Lord I gotta face the world again today and I am depressed every day and I tell people that and some Pentecostals say you're not supposed to be depressed you're supposed to be happy and glad and you're supposed to be gay and, and they're putting on I've told some of them that's not true Jesus was a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief and we're predestined to be like Jesus and when you start facing the truth on all the lies that all these preachers are telling about the method of salvation about devils or demons and that all you got is a spirit in you that needs to be cast out the Bible says in Mark the 7th chapter there's nothing that enters a man that will contaminate him it's what comes out of his heart you can't contaminate yourself by what you're eating or what you're, what you're taking in. Look at that over there in Mark. It's, I don't think these preachers even read the Bible, do you? They can't be reading it. What they're doing is crazy. Look here in Mark 7. Mark 7. All right. Mark 7. Verse 14. And when he had called all the people unto him, he said unto them, Hearken unto me, every one of you, and understand, there is nothing from outside of a man, which would include demons, 
that entering into him can defile him. If there's such a thing as demons, a demon could defile you. But there's no such thing. It's man's imagination. Nothing can defile him, but the things which come out of him, these are they that defile the man. It's what comes out of his heart. The heart is deceitful above all things, and that's wicked. What gets me, the heart is deceitful above all things. A thing is an it. Every time you find daemonion in the New Testament, and the Bible is referring to it, it's neuter gender. It's a thing. Well, if there is a demon, your heart is more evil than that. But there is no demons. It's just our hearts. Now, I don't know what else I can say. Do you know that everything that I teach has to do with definition? Everything. Have you noticed how much you can define words? The reason the love of many is waxing cold, they've redefined the Bible. You know what I believe the King James Bible is? It's a confusion of languages, isn't it? It's got everybody confused. Unless they think, I can pull out this verse, and this will tell me how to be saved. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. See, that's it. Call it on God. But you can't call on him in whom you've not believed. You've got to define everything, don't you? I don't hear anybody that defines anything. These guys that use these big $20 words, people like Hank Hanegraaff and... and uh, R.C. Sproul died recently. You couldn't listen to R.C. Sproul if you are a truck driver or a clerk down here at the grocery store. You have no idea what he's talking about. Because he'll use, take these words, and you're going, what is that talking about? He's got dozens of them in one message. It's like, I don't know what that means. God's word is simple. You just simply define the words in the original Greek. How much time do I have, Mike? Huh? All right. Now, I've been talking about men messing up the definition of God's words is the big problem when it comes to the love of many waxing cold. Go back over here to Matthew, the 24th chapter. I gave you something here. I'll have to finish it up next week. He goes on to say, after the love of many is waxing cold. That word love, agape, he's saying walking in God's commandments is dying. Because if you redefine everything, you got a different commandment. But he that endureth unto the end, the same shall be saved. It doesn't mean he that holds out. Endures the word hoopo. Hupomeno, H-U-P-O-M-O-N, excuse me, M-E-N-O. Who's going to endure to the end? It means to continue. It It is the verb form of the noun, hupomone. That is the word Patience. 
And the trying of your faith worketh patience. The trying of your faith is more precious than gold that perisheth, though our faith be tried by fire. And who's going to endure to the end? The ones that God says, the Bible says in Philippians 1, Philippians, the first chapter, look over there in Philippians, the first chapter, verse 6, look here. Philippians, the first chapter. Philippians. He, being confident of this very thing, that he that hath begun, the word is in archomai, E-N-A-R-C-H-O-M-A-I. Begun in an arcade. Arcade means a beginning. An arc is the beginning of a circle. When you finish the arc, you got the whole. He that hath begun from inside the beginning, he that has started this arc, he that hath begun a good work and you will perform. If God started it, he's going to finish it. The word perform is the word epitelos. I think we recognize something there, don't we? Telos means to finish. To finish. Epi means to superimpose or cover your life with finishing the program. So who's going to endure is the ones that God starts it and he's going to finish it all the way to the end. Those of us that are believers, if you're a believer, you're going to believe these truths, these definitions. If somebody's going to make excuse, I I don't even understand the excuses men make for definition. I, I hate a millennium. It's not true. It's not a thousand year reign after this is over. I've taught on that. What I don't understand how people can read the Bible and not see some things. Look over here in Revelation, the tenth chapter. Revelation ten. Let me just say something that men have done to They've come up with a thousand-year reign after this all over. Augustine said that was an invention of the Jews. They wanted their own personal kingdom, so they come up with this thousand-year reign. I don't know why I can see these things and preachers can't. I analyze everything from a mathematical viewpoint. If it don't make sense, I don't care what Billy Graham says. I don't care what Charles Stanley says. If it don't make sense. And what they're saying about this seventh chapter does not make any sense. What they're doing, this is their love waxing cold. The way they make it wax cold, they change the definition of the words. That's all you have to do over there in over there in 1 Corinthians 15, 51, 1 Corinthians 15, 51. I've never heard a preacher deal with this. 
I've heard him quote half of it. Behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment. In the twinkling of an eye, I've heard preachers preach, quote up to that, and they leave off the next phrase. We're going to be changed in a moment. Twinkling of an eye. I looked up on the internet. Gosh, you use the internet for something besides playing games. Okay. You look up a twinkling of an eye. The eye twinkles about one, one billionth of a second. So you're not going to have time to look up to the eastern sky and see when he comes back. It's one billionth of a second. Quicker it's the speed that the light hits the retina of your eye and bounces back. It's light traveling at that speed in a twinkle of an eye. And then it says, at, 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 this is when we're going to be changed, at the last trump. Gosh, you preachers, don't you get it? It'll be at the last trump. If there's a last trump, there has to be a first trump and a second trump and a third trump. The Bible says there's seven trumpets in Revelation 8, 9, and 10. Seven trumpets. A trumpet was a voice. Gosh, I don't have time to go into that, do I? Because a trumpet tells you when to get up, when to go to bed, when to go to war. That's what a trumpet was, a loud horn to tell the troops when it was time to charge or play taps and go to bed or pray reverently and get up in the morning and go to breakfast. A trumpet. So we're going to be changed at the last trump. I never heard any preachers say eschatos, E-S-C-H-A-T-O-S. That's the word last. And the writers tell us last means the last in a series Now I've already looked all this up for you. I'm not this is not my opinion. This is what my books say. I have people come up to me and they say, Look, Jim, this book says exactly what you said. I say, Where did you think I got it? I got it out of that book. Last in a series after which no other trumpet will sound. After which no other trumpet will sound. It's the last in a series. One of the last things that happens in the book of Revelation is seven trumpets. Gosh, it ought to tell you something, shouldn't it? There were seven trumps in Israel beginning in Nisan, which is, Nisan is March, April, March, April, and they had seven months where they'd have a trumpet sound at the beginning of the month, and they had seven months, and this was the beginning of the harvest, and the end of the harvest was in the seventh month, that was in Tishri, 
And that is when they called him, they separated the sheep from the goats, the wheat from the tares. And he had seven trumpets at the beginning of a month. And each, when each one of those trumpets sounded, they had a, what they called a new moon festival. New moon. And we're going to be changed at the last trump. And you got seven trumpets sounding here in Revelation 8, 9, and 10. When the seventh one gets ready to sound, look at the things that happen. Verse 1, I saw another mighty angel. That's Christ. I don't have time to go into it. Come down from heaven, clothed with a cloud, and a rainbow was upon his head. I have much to say about that. His face was it was as the sun, his feet as pillars of fire, and he had a, in his hand a little book. That's the same little book you see over there in the fourth chapter. And he set his right foot on the sea and his left foot on the earth and cried with a loud voice as when a lion roareth. And when he cried, seven thunders uttered their voices. And when the seven thunders had uttered their voices, I was about to write, and I heard a voice from heaven saying unto me, Seal up those things which the seven thunders uttered, and don't write them down. And the angel which I saw stand upon the sea and upon the earth, lifted up his hand to heaven, and swear by him that liveth forever and ever, who created heaven, and the things that therein are, and the earth, and the things that therein are, and the sea, and the things which are therein, that there should be time no longer at the sounding of the seventh trumpet. There's going to be no time in the days of the voice of the seventh angel when he shall begin to sound, the mystery of God should be finished. Teleos, complete. The mystery of God according to the second chapter, or the third chapter of Ephesians, and the fifth chapter of Ephesians is the church. The church is finished. The church is teleos. That's the word finished or complete. So the last one has come in the fold at the signing of the seventh trumpet. And it's at this last or seventh trumpet that we're going to be changed. And when the seventh trumpet sounds, what does it say? Time is no more. How can you have a pre-trib rapture? And still have seven years to go if time is no more at the signing of the last trump. How can there be a pre-trib rapture? There is no more time after the signing of the seventh trumpet. Is there? Is that what it says? Time is no more. Is a thousand years time? Is that time? There will be no thousand years not a thousand year reign I've gone into that in depth the only purpose of the thousand years which is not thousand it's plural and it's not thousand it is kilia and the only purpose of the thousand years has one purpose you can look at that in Revelation the 20 the 20th chapter and Satan was bound or forbidden for a thousand years for a thousand years and it's not thousand it's kilia it's plural now I've got a book on 
entomology of mathematics. It is, has nothing to do with the Bible. It's a book that, God, that Mike got from me and him. I asked him when he's teaching up here at Vol State. Can you see if they've got some books on entomology of mathematics? He went in there, and they had them. I don't know, maybe in Tennessee State, I don't know which it was. But they had some entomology of mathematics. And they'll tell you that in the ancient world, one was not a number. They called that a generator of numbers in mathematics. You don't count to one. You don't say, okay, man, fall out. All right, let's count off. One. And that's all you got there standing there. You don't count off with one. And they'll tell you. Mr. Bullinger will tell you. All you got to do is get the right books. Here's a book. E.W. Bullinger. Numbers in Scripture. Excellent book. Numbers in Scripture. And he'll tell you, along with a lot of others will tell you, that ten, a hundred, and a thousand is a form of the original number. And one wasn't a number to them. It was a generator of numbers. So to have plural, you've got to have at least two. And the whole idea of the 2,000 years, the 2,000 years, it'll tell you exactly what the 2,000 years is for right here. And I never heard anybody even deal with this. Bound him... I'm going to set the way it is, 2,000 years. Or forbid him. That word bound, dio, means to forbid. Forbid. And it forbids Satan for a 2,000-year period. Forbid him for a 2,000-year period, and it tells you what he's forbidden to do in verse 3. And cast him into the place of no knowledge. Bottomless pit is not right. Abusos is the word. It means a place of no knowledge. Abusos, A-B-U-S-S-O-S. It's a construction of bathos, meaning something with great knowledge. And when you when you place the alpha in front of that, it translates abusos. That's the word. It's our word abyss, and it means doesn't mean bottomless pit. It means a place of no knowledge. And I keep saying, in the Mediterranean area, in the beast, nobody had any knowledge of God but Israel, that little bitty nation on the eastern end of the Mediterranean. And they called this Mediterranean a pit. They said it had demons in it. They would call whales demons. How are you going to know that if you don't read anything? You're not going to know it. And here's why Satan was bound. Or why he was forbidden. And shut him up and set a seal upon him that he should deceive the nations no more. That here's the whole idea. The word nation and the word Gentile are the same word, Gentile. That he should deceive the Gentiles no more till the 2,000 years was finished. Here's the whole point. The Gentiles over here in the Old Testament were deceived and they were in darkness from Adam until Jesus. And they were not allowed to have the truth. They didn't go preach the gospel to the heathen, to the ethnos. The word Gentile 
and nation are the same word, ethnos. They're the same word in the Hebrew also. It's amazing to me. And so here's the point. I had never heard anybody. The Bible is not so hard to understand if you'll define every word in sight. Define everything. There's a in the Old Testament, Gentiles were in the dark. When God opened the eyes of the Gentiles in Acts two for a two thousand year period, and I believe that's what it is. Acts two was around thirty three to thirty five AD, somewhere in that neighborhood. We don't know if it was exactly 33. Jesus had just died 40, 50 days before Acts 2. And all the way to the end of time, the Gentiles cannot be. And so far, it's been right at 2,000 years. They cannot be deceived. They are forbidden. Satan is forbidden from deceiving the Gentiles. He's forbidden deceiving the Gentiles during this time period of the Gentile church or spiritual Israel. Now, I just kind of made this real quick. We are we're living in a world full of stupid preachers. They're just stupid. Why do you call them stupid? The Bible says if they refuse repentance, they refuse they are ba'ar, they're brutish. It means dull of hearing, brutish. It means dull of hearing. It means they can't hear because they haven't been given hearing ears. Or they are stupid. Stupid, it means an animal that can't learn. They can't learn. It takes humbling yourself to learning these definitions, to learn the truth. How much more can I talk about how these guys are messed up? I don't like the Baptist preachers. The Baptists believed in predestination 150 years ago. Every every president of the Southern Baptist Convention believed it in the 1850s, 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s. Then they began to fall away from it and if you talk to a Baptist and try to talk to them about predestination, they don't even know that that's what their ancestors believed. You tell them that Baptists didn't celebrate Christmas in the 1800s, they don't even know that. And they think that we are a cult because I'm telling these definitions. We don't need definition. The English Bible is good enough for us. Well, you're really deceived. There's all kinds of mistakes in the King James Bible. And I'm always coming up and showing them to you because they didn't translate it correctly. But half the translators were Roman Catholic. They had a knockdown drag out in the translating room. It went on for six years, six to seven years. And the Catholics got their way on a whole bunch of stuff. I've got a book up here. It's called... God's secretaries, right here. I'll tell you the fight they had in the translating room. 
That was a war. Because you had, well, I believe this word is it, and I believe this is it. I don't think we need to put that in here. I said it this morning. I believe they mistranslated the Bible to confuse the people. I don't believe in the, I believe in the Textus Receptus, not the King James Bible. I use the King James because it comes from the Textus Receptus, and then I'll go to a word, tell you what it is, what it means, and say it's not what they put here in the English. I showed you this morning how they took a definite article, the, and mistranslated to a possessive pronoun, my. You can't do that, but they did. I believe they were fighting tooth and nail in that translating room. It's a very interesting book. God's Secretary just shows these guys sitting around this table, and they were in a fight. And a lot of the a lot of the mistakes were probably put there by Roman Catholics. I meant to get back. I'll get back next week. This thing has been on my mind all week about the love of many waxing cold. The love of many waxing cold is because we're not being told the truth about the Bible by the Baptists, the Pentecostals, the Presbyterians, the Catholics, the We've turned into a Roman Catholic nation, what we've turned into. And the Roman Catholics are getting their way. Everybody's tolerating everybody. Well, let's just tolerate one another. I'm not going to tolerate lies. I'm going to call it down every time I hear it, every time I see it. If I'm out in public and somebody says something, I'll say, that's not what the Bible says, what you're implying. If you want to know, I'll tell you. I don't make people listen, but I'll bring it up to them. Every time I get around an educated man like doctors, they're supposed to know something about information. I know they recognize information. I was at a, I was up at this blood doctor, hematologist, and I sat there and talked to him about Christmas and about predestination for about 30 minutes. And if, if I don't have any opposition, I can put out a lot of information in 30 minutes. He said, you really study the Bible, don't you? I said, yes, sir, I believe in it. And he was sitting there mesmerized, just staring at me. I went from one thing to the other, boom, 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 boom. It, I'm astounded that educated men have a hard time recognizing the truth. If you go into a class, you go into an algebra class, they're going to give you some algebra axioms. You've got to listen to it. You've got to look at what it says. You have to do that in order to find out the truth. They're not doing that in America. They just say, well, our denomination says we believe this. It's because you're ignorant. You believe in something somebody told you. The Bible says as the end of time gets close, evil men and seducers will wax worse and worse that's where we are but it's because everybody is so nice out here in the world well they're not nice they're acting nice aren't they nice is the word and they scared means no knowledge if you act nice you're playing dumb like I don't know what's going on nobody is as stupid as the world is acting you actually believe Billy Graham was as stupid as he came on I don't believe that I don't believe Charles Stanley is as stupid as he sounds on TV. He taught in a seminary at one time. How can he be that dumb? 
I give them more credit than their own people who they're leading away like Pied Pipers <coughs> leading away. I give them more credit than their own people give them. I say, you know the truth and you just won't say it. They're going to lose congregation. I'm out of time, but I've said this, that John MacArthur, who's the closest man that I know of that's preaching close to the truth, but he says he knows that Christmas is pagan and knows that that it was the birthday of Mithra in the ancient world and know it came into the Catholic Church. And then he says, but. What do you mean, but, John? However, you can't celebrate God with the customs of the pagan. He says, therefore shall you keep my ordinance that you not keep not any one of these abominable customs. They stink to me. Everything going on in the churches in the world, it stinks to God. People say, how do you know you're right? Well, if you define words and that ain't right, then there is no truth, right? There's no truth if you don't define words. You know what makes the Bible interesting? Definition. Makes you want to learn more. Does me. I'm out of time. I'll come back and talk about Gog and Magog next week. I've had this on my heart all week long. The love of many waxing cold. It's dying. The agape is dying among the so-called Christian people. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for truth. God, help us. As we live in this world, it's very depressing to see a world embracing lies. I know I'm bothered every day, Lord. Give me strength to keep standing. Lord, I don't know what to do sometime except keep going forward. Thank you for your word. Fight our battles. I can't even do that. Can't fight the world. They don't want to hear. Lead us cheery like family. We'll praise you for everything. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Now that's a lot of the false doctrines.